So there you go. Here we are. Brian Wark, The Silent Portrait. Welcome to the Longtown Wednesday podcast. And uh, tell us a bit about yourself. All right. Well, my name is Brian Wark, and I own Talent Portraits, and that's all there is to know. No, um, I. uh, All right. That's it. Goodbye, everyone. Well, yeah. It was great talking to you. Uh, I hope you all check out right now. So I'm a portrait photographer, as you said. Uh, my own silent portraits. Um, I spend most of my time with my kids. I'm a dad, basically full time, and then I do portrait work when I get free time. Um, and uh, I've been doing portrait photography for about seven years. I've been doing regular photography for about ten years. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So wh- where do you do the photography out of, like, area of the world? Um. So mostly, uh, New York is where I live. I live in upstate New York, small little, uh, not even upstate, it's central New York. Um, small little town, Norwich, it's like a one horse town. Uh, I grew up in Binghamton, which is the largest city, which is slightly southwest of where I live now. Um, I spent, I, that's where I'm I from far up. western New York, so I'm aware of these places. Okay. Okay. So perfect. Um, I didn't know if anybody else would be, but yeah. So I, um, grew up in Binghamton. Um, and then I moved up to Norwich with my wife. She works at Norwich Pharmaceuticals and I travel for a living for the most part. I travel a lot. So it was just easier to live closer to her work than it would be for her to commute every single day. Um, I do do most of my work is someplace in New York. However, I've gone as far as California out for work and I've gone down to Florida for work. So I've gone all across the United States for work. Um, for photography. I also travel for work. So, what do you do for work that you travel doing? Photography. Um, so, one really? of the biggest things. Yeah. So, one of the biggest things that I do is um, I create press kits for bands, musicians, things like that. It's really fun. I get to tour with bands sometimes. Um, it is a lot of fun. Oh. So much work because I don't get to be like on a tour bus or anything. I don't get to be with them. I have to drive my own crappy car across the United States to do all these things. Um, and like, even this year I built, um, I took my SUV and I folded down the seats and I measured it all out. And I'm people that built one of those camper vans. Like I have this little bag in yes. the back of my SUV and it's got a little tiny, um, uh, cooler in there, and it's got a small little desk in there. Um, I can put my teeth in, in the passenger seat, just like, kind of made my own little apartment inside my SUV for when I travel. Nice. Yeah. So, no, I've seen a lot of that stuff because obviously I also like music. I mean, people who don't, you can't trust. So, no, I've seen uh, the guy on stage, like, while the bands are playing, like, taking the pictures, and then at the end of the show when they're, like, the band's back is to the 
the crowd and they have like you know the the full picture of the tour for like every night like i've seen that for a lot of bands that i like they post that on tour and stuff yeah yeah um so that, that's exactly the kind of stuff that i get to do um i've worked with several artists where i've even got to stay with them where like they were recording an album and stuff like that so i had to stay there um i just went up right. to um connecticut a couple weeks ago and uh i got to uh take a bunch of photos of casey makes music who's a decent friend of mine who lives up in um ct went to studio out of there and um uh, that was really fun so i got to hang out with him for the day in his studio and it, it's a lot of fun um but it's also a lot of drama for no reason so it's kind of i have a i've developed a love-hate relationship being so close to it i can see that yes no, no, yeah. That, that actually sounds like one of those things where it's like satisfaction is the death of desire type of thing, where it's just like, wow, this is so cool that I get to do this like thing and have this experience, but like, I think it would get old pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah, just me like, personally. Yeah, it's like that for uh, most, I feel like it's supposed to, um, like that for a lot of things, but especially if you, um, are in any kind of artistic field and you decide to monetize on it, the second you switch over to that monetization, like, ah, this is, this is worse than just going to a nine to five. Uh -huh. No, I actually thought about that because I used to love drawing and painting. Like I did it constantly, uh, especially when I was in the Marines and it was one of those things I had to go to the wayside, like once I got an actual job and a life and stuff. Because, you know, you just can't bring it with you everywhere. And, like, part of the things of getting out of the military is, like, you have to do an interview with everyone because they really want you to stay. And, yeah. like, the CO and Sergeant Major were like, well, you like to draw and stuff, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, why don't you go be a tattoo artist? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm like I could not do that to people like drawing things I don't feel like on people that I don't like I'm like ah no so that's actually an internal debate that I have and I actually talk to the people about this a lot especially when they're first getting in um, I get invited to go like talk to like classes and everything like the worst person to be invited because I will straight tell people like nah you should probably not follow this <laughs> your dream um, and it's kind of partly what um, <laughs> Because there are so many people that I work with. There are um, models I've worked with. There are actors I've worked with. I cannot stand them. I don't want to be in a room with them. They say the dumbest things. They they are just horrible human beings. But that entire time I'm there, I'm there to take the picture and be friendly with them. So I disagree with anything that they say, no matter how stupid it is. Like I had about a two-and-a-half-hour conversation with somebody about how the earth is flat. And um, like they, 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 they are flat Earth. They 100% believe that the Earth is flat. And um, they were talking about how televisions have been installed inside of all um, kind of like telescopes and everything. Since the invention of the telescope, the American government has been putting televisions in them to show people what they want you to see and not what's actually out there. Um, if it wasn't for that, then we would see the fact that there aren't really footprints on the moon, but telescopes have TVs in them that display footprints on the moon. And that is something that he truly believes. And so for two and a half hours, I was just sitting there like, yeah, man, that kind of sounds reasonable. 
because that I'm get that's what I'm getting paid to do is to make him happy. I would have so much fun with that because the amount of like fun, stupid conspiracy theories I know, I would just be like, oh, so yeah, you don't. So first of all, you believe that you know that the moon is real. I'm going to start there. <laughs> I start with you believe the moon is real. Then I'm going to, well, if the moon really is there, which it might be because, okay, we can see it. I'll give you that. But it's actually hollow because it's an alien base and they're harvesting our souls. I've gone down some interesting YouTube rabbit holes because I have nothing to do at night after work except go to the gym, eat food, and watch YouTube. <laughs> so my mind is filled with just the dumbest things. And I'm just like, ah, oh, yes. So it really only comes in handy when I really need to mess with someone, which doesn't happen often because I'm a... I'm on like construction and environmental sites like nine times out of 10 and I'm just like by myself or with like one person who's worked with me forever. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I like that. So you should spend your time. There's a four part, like each one's like an hour. It's on YouTube somewhere. You might've already seen it. Um, the religion of people who believe that there was a nuclear war between Atlantis and Mars, and then everybody's mind got erased, and they buried all the evidence underneath the pyramids, and that's why you're not allowed to dig underneath the pyramids. Um, that is a there's a four part YouTube series on it, and that is a thing that some people believe. Uh, the nuclear Atlantis war. That's why Atlantis been wiped off the map. That's why there's no more life on Mars. Sounds like exactly something I would watch and be like, oh, enthralled with. Yeah. yeah there's this one channel I like. It's called uh, The Y Files. And, like, they actually do research for, like, a lot of this, like, stupid, dumb stuff. And they, like, kind of prove it. And then they, like, right near the end, they start going, but here's why. That this is kind of bullshit or kind of believable. And sometimes they'll they'll straight call it bullshit. Sometimes they'll say it's believable. So, like, it can go each way. Like, I think their most recent one was about the, uh, what are those people called? Uh, they were around during the Crusades. The Knights Templar. Okay. And, like, how they got their start, how they became a bank, how they got wiped out, basically, by the French and the Pope. Uh, yeah, and... Something about the Ark of the Covenant uh, containing the Holy Grail, and those were inside the pyramids. The pyramids are actually eight sided. Like, there's just like some wild stuff in there, and I'm just like, I gotta rewatch that one. Holy crap. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that. I'm gonna. Things like that do interest me. And the thing is, I love watching conspiracy theories uh, because they're either something that's like, wow, I never looked at it from that angle, whether it's believable or not. Never looked at something from that angle. But really what it comes down to is wondering how people ever came to like establishing this entire thing to the point where it got on TV or YouTube or anything. Like Enough people believed it. It got to be a big enough thing. We're like, yeah, that's, that's something that might be a thing. Um, like Anybody can say what they want about 9-11, but one of my favorite conspiracy theories around it is that the buildings are still there, but the government needed a science base where they can operate within the city, 
but they couldn't let people know. So there's a hologram being projected on the outside of the buildings to make it look like they are no longer there, but the buildings are actually still standing there. Forget the fact that you can visit Ground Zero. They believe that the buildings and are throw still a penny in. Yeah, like like they believe that the um that the buildings are still there. It's just a hologram projecting over the buildings, so people don't realize that the government's um, conducting experiments on Manhattan. In Manhattan, that is fucking amazing. That is probably one of my new favorite ones. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, the craziness that surrounds nine eleven. Like, I got some buddies that I that I know, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like no, like the government was in on." I'm like, "Yeah, maybe, but I mean, let's think about it. We worked for the government for a little while. Granted, very low level in the military, but could we shut up about anything we've ever done for it? No." Yeah. There's a lot of people that have been silent for a very long time um, if it was a huge, huge conspiracy. Um, that like, And one of my favorite things is um, that shut down a lot of the arguments are why. Because people would be like, oh, well, easy. Because we needed a reason to go to war. We're America. We've never needed a reason to actually go to war. We just do it. This, that's what America does. Um so I don't think that we needed a solid reason. We could have came up with a much less com a complicated plan if that was really the reason why that the government was 100% involved. Yes. But also, why would they do that? What is there in Afghanistan that they would want to go to war for? Yeah. It's not strategic. It's not valuable. The only thing there is is, is heroin and lapis lazuli. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and that's so that, that's the thing. It always comes down to why. Like flat earthers, like okay, the government's lying to us. The Earth's actually flat. All science is lying to us. Everybody's lying to us. It's a conspiracy. Why? Why would they not? Why would they want us to think the Earth is round rather than flat? Like you just most conspiracy theories can all be pulled apart just when you ask the simple question of. Why is it need? Why does it need to be a conspiracy to begin with? Yeah, what is the benefit? Yeah. So that's uh, but yeah, back to um, my portrait photography, like that's that's kind of the thing I always get stuck on because I always get stuck in the room with these, and it goes it goes both ways. Um, for some reason, I'm always in the room with I, I don't like using the word extremist, but somebody who leans very far in one direction on a topic or the exact opposite. And um, I'm always, I guess it's topic dependent. I'm usually somewhere more closer to the middle on most things. Um, but it's, uh, they, get, they just all get ridiculous. They all really do get ridiculous, like extreme one side or the other side. And I don't want to call anybody out because I, I get that that's their beliefs and everything. But it can be, it can be hard to actually... It makes you not want to meet your idols when you find out your idols have the reading level of a second grader. I can see that, yes. Yeah, no. No, I, I'm, I'm good enough hearing a lot of them uh, talk on Joe Rogan podcast. Like, I'm a huge Megadeth fan, so when Dave Mustaine was on there, I was, like, super hyped and pumped, and I listened to it, and I'm like, eh, not bad, okay, cool. Yeah. Because, like... He's got a lot of brain damage from alcohol and drugs over the years, and I was expecting a lot worse. 
And yeah. I actually didn't know what to expect, but he was normal and genuine and talked about it in the early days and getting kicked out of Metallica and all that stuff. And I was just like, shit, we're right. That, that's the one thing I will say. Um, most of, a lot of my clients are lean heavy into um, hip hop, loose rock, like rock hip hop, like some variation of hip hop and, or then their country. Those are like the two genres that mostly I don't work with the, too many people who would do just um, regular pop music or like heavy metal, metal or stereotypical rock music. I do work with some, but just not a lot. Um, but when I do work with them, it's funny because they usually are a lot more realistic with all of their um, everything between their beliefs, how they act as a person. Um, just they're genuine, uh, just being genuinely decent people. Um, they have obviously they have yes. the image to play on stage and everything, but in reality, a lot of them, when they're not having that image and just sitting there eating donuts, waiting for the shoot to start, or whatever, um, or in the green room, they really are just people like, like, like they act normal, they talk normal, they have decencies and everything. Some of them, obviously, um, not all of them, um, but a lot of them do. Whereas it's always the one man bands, the pop star or the one guy with his guitar or um the next Eminem, they're always the ones that have these um I'm better than literally everybody I've ever met, even though there's no evidence to support it whatsoever. Well that's the thing is that a lot of hip hop, in order to be good at it, you have to have a giant fucking ego. Because that's what yeah. sells is that type of lyricism. Because that's what people are going to be singing along to is I'm the best, I'm this, I'm that, I make money, I get women, I do this, I do that. Like I'm the best at whatever sport and things like that. Like that's what you want to be singing along to. That's what's going to hype you up. Whereas like if you were just some normal person trying to rap or it's just like, yeah, I'm mild to moderately decent at like, you know, making a nice, Noki with my grandma, like nobody wants to hear that. But I'm actually far more interested with making a nice Noki with my grandma. Actually, that sounds really good. That's a different subject, though. Yeah, um, yeah, it's true though. We, we can only have so many uh, lonely islands and little dickies out there um, who have that like niche of I am just an average guy who's uh-huh. rapping or whatever fun. Um, there only gonna be like so many of the satire rappers out there. Uh, like you said, really, what sells is the um, that lack of a better term, that game banger lifestyle. I'm the best. Here's all my jewelry. Um, I have a lot of, I like you said, like like you said, like the big ego and everything. Um, so it is true. Um, but you would figure at one point they would realize that they have to stop that. Um, when they're trying to actually work with people, these people stop working with them awfully quickly. Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm not exposed to that at all, really. Like, I might listen to the music occasionally, but, I mean, I don't go looking for it on Instagram and my socials. Like, if it pops up and I like the song, I'm not turning it off, but that's about where it ends. Like, I'm way more into heavy metal. Like, that is my jam, always has been. Well, there was a short time in the 90s when I was hardcore gangster rap when I was like 11, 12, and, you know, Tupac was still alive, but. 
See, when I was 11 or 12, I was listening to uh, the Insane Clown Posse. So I was uh, I was one of those kids. Right. Are you a juggalo? And what's your favorite album? Yeah. All right. So, yes. And The Riddle Box. Has to be The Riddle Box. It was when I was introduced to them. Um, and I think it was their best album before they were starting to become a little bit more mainstream. So they tried to appease that market a little bit. And right after they realized when they really found their groove in making music. Um, so I think like that era, um, like um, the Riddle Box, the Great Malenko, um, Jekyll Brothers, like th- that's like those last four albums of the um, the Joker cards were um, I think were like the best. But the Riddle Box had my favorite. Okay. The only album I really know of theirs is the Great Malenko because around that time I had a friend who got really into it. So. I was just yep. like, all right, cool. Yeah. So like, like, like yeah, that came yeah. out right. Yeah, that one came out right after the Riddle Box. So like I said, it was right before they started becoming a little bit more mainstream. And I had nothing. I I I don't complain when bands sell out. I I everybody everybody would probably sell out if they had the opportunity to. I would sell Silent Fortress in a heartbeat if somebody was offering me enough money. Um. Did they really sell out? Because, like, they've said multiple times that, like, doing the, what is it, the Gathering of the Juggalos, like, I think the last one, they made $1,000 profit off. Like, they're doing that sort of stuff for their fans. The amount that they give back to their community would actually astound people and make them go, like, wow, they're actually, like, really nice and good people, like, for the Detroit area. That's where they're from. So absolutely. Um, when I say sell, yeah. I don't mean a negative, derogatory term. Um, I mean it more of catering towards a more master audience than just the smaller audience. And you, and you can see it in their music a little bit. It's not that their music became less vulgar or anything. It's that um, up until a certain point, um, it was just about making music with friends. That's almost all they did was they made music with friends. And then after a certain point, um, they started making, they still started making music for with their friends and everything, but they would only push stuff that they believed would have some radio play to it. Or um, they pushed really hard into making sure that they had like lots of t-shirts going out and they did a lot of those kind of things. Um, so I don't want to say sell out in the fact of, uh, in like a way where like, Oh, they sold out and they turned their back on their fans because they absolutely didn't do that. But they did start trying to make more of a mainstream image to them as well. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, I do remember hearing the difference between the great Malenko, and I remember that, and then it was a span of many, many years, and there was some song like, where they're talking about things being magical, and I'm like, "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> that song. I was talking about that song the other day. So, <laughs> Donald Trump did a speech where he talked about water. Go on, Green. All right. So, I forgot all about that song. I forgot all about that song. But so, not too long ago, Donald Trump did the speech, and in the speech, he talked about how when magnets get wet, they 
just stopped working, whatever. And he gave that speech. Yes. And like, Scientists have no idea what they're talking about. Magnets, when they get wet, just stop, whatever. So he gave that speech, and then all of a sudden I remember that song, because there's a line in that song where he goes, um, something like, I don't know how magnets work, and fuck speaking to a scientist, because, like, magnets is obviously magic. And it just, like, I, I wanted to make, I never got around to it, but I wanted to, like, put the videos, like, side by side, and just said, like, who... Who knows more? Like, who has the battery conspiracy theory? Trump or ICP? Because both of them have just apparently don't know how magnets work. I mean, an electromagnet will probably stop working when you put it in water because water and electricity, but a standard magnet, I mean, I'm pretty sure they could still work. Yeah. Because um, I don't know if he knows his his base very well this mr trump character but there's a lot of people in the south that like to do this thing called magnet fishing yep yep, yep. i watched the videos with that uh i i very much enjoy that endless stroll of tiktok and instagram if for no other reason then that stuff actually just brings me joy watching people magnet fish or any one of those little oh, yeah. tiny hobbies that I'm never going to get into. But, oh, that's cool. You found an AK-47 at the bottom of the river. Nice. I mean, I would love for that to happen to me, but I mean, I'd also have to go buy a very powerful magnet and find some rivers to go do that too. Yeah. Like that's my thing. I like watching them and then like, um, just getting into hobbies like that is extremely expensive. And I really don't have time to uh, for it. Every single river around me is like three feet deep. I could just walk in there and kick things with my feet until I found something if I really wanted to. Yeah, so for me, I mean, my hometown and where I live, uh, there's a creek. I can, I can see through it. And then uh, if I go two miles north, I'm on Lake Erie. And that's where things start getting fun. I'd need a boat. Yes. Yeah, and then you spend all day just pulling up somebody else's boat. Potentially. Yeah. yeah. You never know. Uh, that's true. That's true. I um, did watch a small little video the other day where people were doing – what were they doing? They were doing this game where you uh, just pick a random spot on the map, and then you go drive to that spot and you just hang out at it. Robert, they just like, oh, yeah, this is the spot on Google Maps I chose at random. And um, they did it, and they got there. And this is a true story because I looked it up. Because, you know, you see things on TikTok, and they're not ever true, like, ever. Um, but this one actually happens to be. They um, find the suitcase, and um suitcase smells really bad. Apparently, a guy had dumped a body there, like, a day before at this completely random and closed place. And it was just coincidence that it was the, the exact coordinates where these random people showed up so otherwise they would probably the body would have probably never been found but it was stuffed in a suitcase and they were able to solve the murder holy shit yeah yeah weird hobby that happens um i know so do you know what geocaching is vaguely not really so my wife is huge into geocaching geocaching is um this game uh you use your you can use your cell phone, any kind of GPS, anything that uses coordinates, and people go hide little trinkets out in the woods, um, woods under lamp skirts, all over the place. And then just these little bottles, and you um, sign a little piece of paper in them. They sometimes have little trinkets, and you can trade your a trinket for their trinket. Um, 
and it's just really fun. My wife has um, 17,000 fines. Yeah, 17,000 fines um, all across the United States. We've gotten geocaches in 48 of the 50 states, minus Hawaii and Alaska. Um, she's about to go to Brazil to get one of the oldest caches in the world. Um, so, um, and there's different types of geocaches. And so the type she's going to get is called an ape calf. There's only like three of them left in the world. So she's going to go find it. Um, and it's just a really fun game. Um, but that same thing happened where somebody, um, killed somebody and hid their body and they just happened to hide it next to a geocache. So a few hikers looking for a geocache end up stumbling, uh, stumbling across it a couple days later. Um, and that was, that was only a couple hours from here. Holy shit. Yeah. A couple that hours in which direction? Because I'm west of um, you. Let's see. So if you're west of me, if you're directly west from me, it'd probably be north from you. I forget exactly where it was. But I remember, I know that um, we've met the person who found them because we know them as geocachers. And we've met them at um, geocaching gathering before. So it had to be... So north of me is, is, is a giant great lake, so I don't know if it could be much north of me. Okay, so it'd probably be... So you must be... So if you're... You must be west north of me. You must be uh, west Do you know where Jamestown is? Yes. If you drive north of Jamestown up to Lake Erie, that's where I am. Okay, so it is definitely more south. And, yeah, uh, yeah definitely more south. And... Trying to think. I'm trying to picture it in my head. Of, like, I remember looking at the map the day that Chris had told me. Um, I don't know. I feel like it would be about a little bit more than halfway between yourself and I. Okay. If you're in so probably closer to Letchworth State Park? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. He makes sense. Um, but yeah, they just, um, they probably had no idea. They, they probably just thought it was this nice, secluded place, but nope. Uh, yeah, that's wild. No, they would, I think the wildest thing I ever heard was there was a, so out by me, there's two county trail systems that go north to south. There's the east side Overland Trail and the west side Overland Trail. And... Like randomly, there'll be other spurs along it that you can walk along. They got the rails to trails program. So like the old like railroads, they're turning into like trails that you can go hiking around. And uh, so out in this one town that's just to the west of mine, Brockton. That's also, interestingly enough, where uh, the creator of Marmaduke from, is from. And the world's strongest man used to live there also. He was born and raised there. Uh, in the 80s, his name was Don Reinhout. He used to give speeches at my school all the time. I love him. Uh, so along there, when they were converting one of the rails, the rails to trails, they found a body from the 70s. Wow. And then they found another one. And then they found another one. Jeez. And they're like, yeah, so we think it's like these, like, group of missing girls from a... Uh, 
from the college, and I'm just like, oh, so there was a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I think um, I read a statistic the other day. And I th- it was either the late '80s or the early '90s. There was an estimated of 100 active serial killers in the United States. Believe it. Yeah, believe it too. It's I just, actually think a hundred is low for the entire country. So, depending on what you would, uh, depending on what they use as qualifications for being a serial killer, the definition has changed so drastically over the years of what constitutes okay. a serial killer over just a guy who decides to have a bad weekend. I think it's pattern. You know what? Honestly, I don't fucking know. I don't know why I'm going to try and guess, but I will anyways. <laughs> so last time I read about it, not that I'm a weird guy, but I'm a weird guy who reads about it all the time. Uh, last time, I think it was, it is it's pattern, uh, frequency between uh, frequency between kills, um, amount of locations, and body count, or something around those lines. Um, because um, I know, like, because, yeah. like, a spree killer has to be in a short period of time without any days passing in between, um, but more than one location, where is a, um, mass murderer has to be all in the same location without any days in between. So, like, they have, like, all these little tiny rules, um, that d- differentiate them. I don't know if it necessarily matters. It's kind of, like, just semantics at a certain point. Do you think that there's anyone who's gotten the trifecta of mass, spree, and serial? Like, is that like the 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 combination that you need, kind of like an EGOT in like what was that show, uh, Thirty Rock? Oh, that, there's got to be someone crazy enough to be like, got to get them all. That's my Pokemon. That's my White Whale. I am fucking Ahab. I'm going to get spree. I'm going to get serial, and I'm going to get. And I'm gonna get mass. Like somebody's going for him. Yeah, I think to, I think to do it. I think I think to do that, you would just have to do three mass killings on three different days, because then you have a like you'd have um, murders on three different days in three different locations. So you would have um, your goal of becoming a serial killer. Then you would have your goal of three different mass uh, mass killings, and then. Does that just have to make sure one of those mass killings was actually a spree killing? And then I think you have to pick on which one you want to have be the end of one because it's going to be hard to get away with each of them. But by the last one, you're pretty much going to be cornered. So then the Beltway Sniper might ha- might have that. Possibly. Yeah, but I have to look into the statistics of that one. But that's a, that is a possible. Yeah. I think we're really getting down to the important things here. No, these are these are definitely the important questions because um we have to like give kids ideas. No, I'm just joking. Um but uh <laughs> No, we have to give Trip Ainsworth ideas so he can like go, yes, yes, I'm glad I set these two idiots up. Yeah, you need to like you're like, man, I don't know what to write a book about. Alright, I got it. Marine goes crazy. Oh no, I'm pretty I- sure he knows. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Ch- chances are, it's probably him. Like, he's just like, damn it, they're on to me. Like, have you ever probably seen Probably not. Game? I don't think he has time. That's true. That's true. But have you ever seen During his, the days. Uh, have I seen his what? His collection, like his room. His, uh, like, with all of his action figures and everything. Um, just what he's shown in the videos online. Yeah, so he had just has you, you go in there and he um, if anybody was a serial killer who was hiding trophies, he would be the one that would be able to do it though, because he just has nooks and crannies filled with trophies of things that he's collected all over the years. He could be able to hide evidence and be like, yeah, man, this is just this is just um, you know, this random coin that I got or whatever. And no, uh, it's a, it's his trophy for his skills. I could see that. I probably shouldn't tell the cops this. Probably not, no. Just edit this part out of the video. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I'd love to, but it's just too much fun. Yeah, I'd also yeah. like to just make it a clip and send it to him. Just him. <laughs> I mean, personally, I don't have too much room to talk. I don't have a lot of room to talk. Because I actually do have a human skull. Tell me about this human skull. So, it's not as interesting of a story as it could be, sadly. Oh, um, yes, it is. I'm calling you Pol Pot from now on. <laughs> so, I um, collect things for um, photography. I collect pretty much anything that could be a basic prop for photography, easy to travel and everything. And there's this um, model I work with, and her job is that she sells antiquities and everything that she gets from places that are like... Um, uh, when a museum is going not going out of business, but when they're getting in a new exhibit and they're not going to put the old exhibit into storage, they will sell it off to private auctions and things like that. And so this was just one that came into a private auction. She asked me if I was interested in it, and I was. Um, so now I own it. Um, and uh, so it's what, legal. What does a skull go for on auction? Um, I'm not. I'm embarrassed to say, so I'm not going to. Um, Give me a rough ballpark then. Depending on the condition of it, usually about four figures. So, yeah, so that's so lower quality ones are going to be in like the $800 range, and then they go up from there. And it, it literally price can differentiate like $200 just because of the condition of the teeth. So like if one tooth is a lot more chipped, um, so it doesn't have like pristine teeth or whatever, um, it can go up or down $200 just depending on if one tooth is missing or not missing, et cetera, et cetera. That is wild. Yeah. So I didn't know that you could want to get things from a museum that's like, yeah, we don't want to do anything with this ever again. And we don't need it anymore. Let's just get rid of it. Just let somebody else deal with it. I do have a, get a couple I named G's him. off of this. <laughs> so um, I named him Abraham, and um, I'm not going to keep him forever. What I'm going to do is if we own this house, so if we ever decide to move, um, and sell this house, I'm going to knock down one of the drywalls, put it in the drywall, and put back up brand new drywall, just so eventually somebody who's doing renovations can find it and just completely ruin their day. And it will just always make me laugh if that happens. 
So I think someone might have done that to me in my old house. So like I'm divorced and like I used to have a house and stuff. I didn't need the house because I travel. So like it was a very calm divorce. So you could have it. Uh, but when I was renovating the upstairs bathroom, like, you know, I had to tear down everything, like just gut it all and like start from scratch. So I took out the vanity that was in the wall and, you know, pulled away the whatever the hell the sink was on, like pulled that away too and just started tearing down the wall. And underneath the vanity behind the sink in the wall, there was no way that these could have fell there. It was like, you know, in between each two by four is like 16 inches on center, right? Mm -hmm. It was about two feet inside there, just filled with razor blades in the package. Like there was no way that someone like put these in there individually or they fell out of the vanity or anything like that. We're talking like old school 1920s single use, like safety razors for like an old school shaving razor. I was like, what the fuck? It is insane. We have a picture that I refuse to move in this house. I refuse to move it. Um, it's in our bathroom. Um, and yeah. it is, it is a white frame. It's just got this white, basic, like Walmart frame. It's, it's nothing fancy. The picture's not fancy at all. But it's a tear out. It's like a centerfold of, from a magazine of a field. And then somebody just drew an eyeball on it, framed it, and hung it in the bathroom. And then when the people moved out, everything in the house, they took everything with them, except for that picture still hanging in the bathroom. I am leaving that thing there. I've seen way too many movies where I know that that picture stays there. That's where that lives. It's going to yeah. stay there. Somebody else's problem. Um, yeah, that sounds like somebody did it to screw with you, but also I approve of it and I like it. Yeah, like, plus it's a, it's a fun story to share with people. Like, yeah, that's just a haunted painting. It goes with the skull. Haunted painting, skull. Oh, man, you need a third. You need to complete the triangle. I do. And the thing is, I don't have anything else in the way. I think that's it. Like, I do need to eventually get a third thing for this house, and then I can um, like, uh, make it a shrine or something. What's your feelings on jackalopes? I don't have any. Yeah, but also I think that they'll know that that one's fake because everyone knows what a jackalope is. Well, I feel like most people do. At least most people I know. Maybe I should just uh, mm. start collecting all of our chicken bones like every time we get KFC or something and just throw them. We have a crawl space. Just putting them down in the crawl space. Won't be very sanitary, but it's like Half an inch below the dirt. I mean, chicken bones is a good one, but also everyone, well, except for like maybe a vegan who's never seen a chicken bone before, would know what they are. Yeah. So you'd have to like just get a specific number, look up like voodoo things, and put it in a specific shape. That would work. One more. Yes, you'd have to like do something like specific enough to where they're going. Okay, this is something. 
But if it was just like a pile of them, they'd be like, someone was lazy. What the fuck? This person just refused to take out their trash. You're probably right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would think if I just saw a pile of them. I'd be like, seriously? What the hell? Draw a pentagram around. Get, uh, get, um, get Trip's new war chest. Put that in the wall down in the basement. Draw a pentagram around the wall in front of it. And that. I approve of this. Yeah. I think he would appreciate that too, the effort and thought that went into it. Yeah, yeah. It would work too because ammo cans are like a time capsule because they are airtight. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, believe it or not, so geocaches started off with ammo cans. That's that's like their number one thing is ammo cans because they're easy to secure in the woods. They last a long time. They need very little maintenance. That makes sense, actually. And they're, I don't know when it started, but they've been around forever and they are readily available. Probably back when, you know, surplus everything was everywhere. Uh, Post-World War One, World War II, started coming down in Vietnam, apparently. They got better with the amounts that they actually needed. But yeah. there was still quite a bit of surplus. That's why you don't see as much actual surplus now. And most, like, surplus stores are just cool guy gear stuff. Yeah, and that's really disappointing because... Um... I'd rather things be practical instead of tactical. Like, so much of the, every time I go, like, I used to love, like, the Army Navy store and everything when I was a kid and Boy Scouts because you get a really nice quality two man tent. Um, nightly that has, like, a nice, like, it's a little bit heavy, a nice canvas bag, store all of your gear and have a few straps to it, a molly pack. All those things you could get at an army thrift store when I was a Boy Scout, I used to absolutely love it. And nowadays, it's just how much molly webbing can we add to this very crappily made backpack? Like that's all they sell. And I don't need 40 pounds of webbing strapped to the side of my backpack when I'm just going to carry my own canteen in one of the many pockets it also has. Uh, yeah, I much prefer the actual backpacking backpacks now so osprey is what i've standardized to and my favorite thing about them is they have the uh, camelback style bladder right there in it it's just like great i don't have to do anything just move the straw <laughs> yeah exactly and uh the other thing is if i get lost like if i really was out hiking i don't want to blend into the woods i would like to be found having a nice bright red backpack or something like that I feel like it would be a lot better. Because um, I get lost a lot. I get lost very easily. I don't need to be hidden with a backpack. Because my backpack is... So that brings me to my next conspiracy theory. This one I actually love. And that's uh, that REI hates people. And they're feeding them to cryptids. And here's why. Because they are strongly anti-firearms. They're, uh, they don't want people to bring weapons and stuff in the woods. They're they don't sell, sell stuff for hunters, you know, stuff like that. Like, yeah, they sell knives, but it's for like, you know, putting your cutting rope and doing stuff like that. Just regular woodsman stuff. But, you know, they're anti-firearm and they sell things that are very brightly colored. 
to people that shouldn't be going in the woods and some people that should. So, you know, they're feeding people to cryptid animals, such as the chupacabra, uh, the wendigo, and all that cool stuff. Sasquatch, making it very easy to be seen by these cryptid animals. And then these people never are seen from again. You know what? I would actually buy that. Um, not because I, uh, actually, I, I really do. I, it's probably the one conspiracy theory that I actually do believe in is I do believe in cryptid. I don't know if I believe in like the Loch Ness Monster, but I don't know. Every, like, every culture, every state, every little small town has their own variation of these things. And I get that some of it's like, um, hype, like, uh, um, some of them only came out after something very similar was featured in like a magazine that was published in like the 1900s, the early 1900s, and then like a week later, I'm like, oh yeah, I saw whatever. So I don't know if I believe in the ones that are necessarily there, but there are definitely weird things that happen out in the woods that uh, I, I could see us not knowing they exist. If you really want to blow your mind and freak yourself out a little bit, look up the Native American ones for your area. Okay. The ones that have been there for, like, the Native Americans from your area, like, because I know New York State is fucking filled with them. Like, there's two reservations over by me. Oh, yeah. I, 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 uh, I went down that rabbit hole. I freaked myself out pretty good. And then I went for a hike the next day. And I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> like every like little noise around me, I'm like, okay, I have to go now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, I would do that to myself. There's only, uh, there are very few. Um, sorry, I can't get my thought together. I had a thought. I did. I had a thought, and then like three sentences half formed in my head, and now I, I have nothing. Yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, you should see me. Uh, you see me right. So I just wrote a book. It's a graphic novel, but it's half half narrative, half graphic novel. It's really cool. Okay, I love it. I have a copy of it. Hold on. Ooh, fancy. What does that say? Picks or it did not happen. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, it's drawn by five artists, myself and four other artists, and it's like half narrative, half um, graphic novel. So it just goes small comic to small comic, and then in between it is just all of the like the narrative part. Um, so I wrote this, nice, it's really. Um, but I can't. I can write. I write really well, but I can't spell. I can't use grammar. I don't know anything about punctuation. Uh, I'm horrible with all that. I will use the same word in the same sentence that runs off for like three paragraphs, um, 12 times. So I have a buddy who illustrate, uh, who doesn't illustrate it. Um, I have a buddy who did all of my grammar checks and everything. And he left me all these notes to um, like, he wrote me, oh, I left all these notes on it. to like what I need to fix and all this and everything. And some of his notes were like, wow, it only took you three chapters to realize you need to use periods. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That's fantastic. So that's how my brain works constantly. I'm like, oh, I have a thought. And then, like, my brain won't add the period, so it'll just, like, start combining sentences. And, like, that doesn't make any sense. And then I just get lost. Yeah, yeah. No, when I was uh, attempting college, I was in an English class, and uh, the teacher's like, you know, your writing style is fantastic, but you really need to learn the rules before you start trying to break them. And I'm just like, what do you mean? Like, I write fine. Like, it makes sense to me. He's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. like, this paragraph is a sentence. And I'm just like, yeah. That, that that's how I talk. Like I don't talk and I'll just ramble on for 40 minutes. I'll go from one topic to another topic to another topic. And I won't even take a breath. That's how I thought I should write. Pretty much. It was just a stream of consciousness. You got it all. Yeah. Raw yeah. and unfiltered. Yeah. It wasn't a run on sentence. It was supposed to be one sentence. You just, your brain can't work as fast as mine. I don't know what to tell you. It just so happens that my sentence was the length of a paragraph. And so yeah. then, you know, I put a period at the end. Next sentence was also a paragraph. Indentation, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, was even one, there was even one spot where he was like, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to say here. Like, like highlighted, like, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to say here. And then I read it back to myself like eight times. And I was like, I don't, I can't remember either. So I just deleted that entire small section. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's now been approved. It's been approved by several people who've read it. Well, like, okay, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, the original rough draft, however, it was very, uh, very rough. Is it available for sale yet, or are you still like going through the process on something? I actually today I um got all of the first editions in the mail today. Um, so it is for sale on my website. Um, I have two websites. I have um, Silent Portraits and I have Who is Camera Head. Who is Camera Head is all my artwork and Silent Portraits is all my photography work. Nice. Yep. Yep. So it is available for sale. Um, I'm not using this podcast to uh, pitch, um, sell it, whatever. I just got really excited. Because, oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, because it's, there's it's, only it's, like... Seven or eight listeners. Oh, good. Well, all seven of them are in the body copy. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> um, I only sold them seven or eight copies, but I ordered a hundred for you. I ordered a hundred for the first edition. I don't really care um, because um, I don't know. I believe in it, and I just I've always wanted to write a book, and uh, I I love drawing. Um, like you said, you love drawing when you're in the Marine Corps and stuff. I was the art recruit. In my platoon, who got to do all the DI instructor hats at the end of the year. Um, I got, um, you got to do that, too. I, drew, I did the range flag. Nice. Nice. So, like, even yeah, like, even when I hit the fleet, um, I was the one that de designed all the company um, T-shirts and everything. So it was fun. Like, like I really I really liked art. Um, but I've always wanted to write a book. And finally, um, I took one entire year off of social media. Of all social media, and in that time, I was like, "I'm going to finish a book in this year," and so I did. I'm going to ask you the annoying question. Obviously, Paris Island because you're from New York. So, when did you go through, and what battalion? All right. So, um, 
I got pneumonia. So in my first, I was um, second battalion. I got pneumonia. I got dropped to third battalion because I had to heal while I was in Paris Island. I left in. It had to have been. I'm I'm sorry. I'm so bad with dates. It always slips my mind. Um. Uh, I joined when I was 17 in the delayed entry program. So I left about two weeks after graduation. Graduation's what June. Yeah, somewhere there. I did the same thing, so I was there July 14th. End of June, early July is when I left, um, is when I went in, in 2006. You went in 2006? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you wouldn't have had anyone that I would have known um, Paris Island at the time. Because I had, I had a good string going where because uh, I went through 3rd Battalion, my company, I knew people that were there up until just about when I got out. So, like, new kids coming in, I'm like, where did you go through? They're like, oh, I went through here. I'm like, this is where I went. I'm just like, who are your drill instructors? <laughs> and so, like, I had, like, some continuity with some people. Like, there was a guy that lived across the street from me, and, like, the new kill hat that I got was his senior when he went through it. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. That is that is fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. I can't remember in second Canadian, I can't remember any of their names because um, I was only there for um, I think for I think it was only there for two weeks before I got pneumonia and they had to put me in the sick bay and then I spent um, two weeks in sick bay and then I had to get picked back up by third battalion. So right underneath. Um, so it was the next, it was the next third battalion, like, like, um, right as they would have went out. So I can't remember who they were, but I ran into all of them in the fleet when I was deployed. People were like, you were one of ours. Or, well, they each had spawned me on different times. Like, I ran into them on different times. Um, but, like, my senior was like, um, you were one of mine. And I can, like, only vaguely remembered him because I only saw him for, like, two weeks at the beginning of boot camp, right? So, like, it took me a minute to even realize what he was talking about. Um, uh, and I was like, uh, and then, and then I real I realized whatever. It was funny that he remembered me because I, I'm such a non-rememberable person in general. Um, so I just thought that was funny. I never saw any of my drill instructors, but so one day, my roommate from the barracks, like. We went through all, I was air wing, so we went through the schoolhouses together, and then we um, uh, went to the same, you know, well, okay, I worked on Ospreys when Ospreys was only one unit, so we went through the schoolhouses, and all of us went to the same building across the street, uh, and that's where the hangar was, and yeah, so... We went to our barracks together and we're just like, we got to pick our roommates. I'm like, I want to be with you. And he was like, I want to be with you. So my roommate was, uh, we're just walking along in the hangar one day. He has a toolbox. All of a sudden he just stops and gets to the position of attention. And I'm just like, are you okay, dude? And he's just like, my drill instructor just walked into the, into the, whatever the hell you call it, our, our squadron. He's like, the drill instructor just walked into the squadron. Your drill instructor? Yeah, dude. He just walked in. Where? He points to this like short guy, and I'm just like, I'm gonna go introduce myself. <laughs> I'm like, hey, how's it going, Staff Sergeant? He's just like, 
was like frog voice, like he was still in drill instructor mode, and I'm just like, ah, we got to break him. <laughs> he was, uh, yeah. Like the first thing he said when he saw my roommate was just like, oh, you, you're still dragging your feet. And my buddy's just like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I, um, moved to Courthouse Bay well after I was out. I was, um, I'd probably already been out for five years. Um, and I moved to Courthouse Bay, um, with my ex-wife okay. and, um, my next door neighbor was a drill instructor and he hated me. He hated me with a passion because every morning I would sit out there at like three o'clock in the morning when he had to get in his car and go back to base. I'd just be like, hi, daughter, it's because I was all so happy sitting there in my PJs on our front porch, just waving at him, and knowing he couldn't do shit about it. So, what what was your MOS when you were in? Eleven forty-two. I was a generator mechanic. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a good job. Um, I liked it. Uh, my parents wanted me to get a job as something that would most likely like would be like oh get yourself a nice job it's gonna be like stateside and everything they want to do it like something that you can use after you get out whatever just do something like nice and low-key i got really good grades um during my senior year in high school and um i'm really good with my hands at doing things like small electronics and everything so um when I joined the delayed entry program, they gave like a list of like six things that they would try to give you the field for if you got high enough on the ASVAB. Um, and I was like, I don't know. So anything with like kind of like maintenance, whatever. So they gave me a generator um, mechanic, um, made me a generator mechanic. That was going to be my MOS. And my parents were all excited about it because like, oh, that sounds like a nice, easy job. Yeah. The only place that you need generators in the military is either field work or deployed. There's literally no other place that you would need one stateside unless you were taking them out to the fields to do training to be deployed or you were actually deploying. So the strategy didn't work out that well, but it is what it is. Yeah. The things you don't know and that you end up learning. Yeah. 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 So I, um, I went to courthouse Bay to do my training and when I got to the fleet, um, they sent me, like, it was two days after I got to the fleet, they sent me for my anthrax shots, and they started my deployment paperwork, and I think it was about a week, maybe two weeks after that, they finished up all the training, uh, all my pre-deployment training, and I was shipped out to join, uh, join the rest of the unit, because the unit was currently deployed at the time that I did the fleet. Nice. Nice. So, Iraq or the stand? Iraq. Nope, Iraq. Um, it was, it would have been around, by the time I was done with training, it would have been probably the end of 2006, right before 2007, um, when I ended up getting there. Like I said, I'm bad with dates. I, I have it all written down somewhere. Like it's all on my DD-214 someplace, wherever it is. And so, um, yeah, I went uh, to Iraq. We were in Fallujah. Our office, um, like our little, little home base, would actually used to just be a shit house. And so, like, we just, like, there were, like, 
um, filled in the holes that were on the ground. They just like filled them in with concrete, and then they just put pieces of plywood to make like four cubicles, and then shoved a desk in between pieces of plywood. And that was where like we stored all of our um, stuff and everything. And then I had um, my my job was to help go. Um, I'd have to leave the wire, and then I had to attach like um, whatever random unit was going wherever. Um, with like one or two other people and we would go establish power there. So like one time we had to go to an Iraqi police station and we had to establish power for the new Iraqi, uh, which they were establishing at the new Iraqi police station. And um, we were only supposed to be gone for, we were supposed to leave that. We were supposed to attach to an infantry unit that was giving them, um, that was giving them supplies and they were going to bring us in. We were going to establish power. We were supposed to attach to a different unit, and they would bring us back. Like, that was it. We were supposed to be there for, like, three days. So all I had was my three-day pack, whatever. We ended up being out there for about two weeks, um, and there was no way to do laundry or anything. So I just wore the same pair of skivvies for, like, five days straight and then switched over to the next one for more than five days because they just couldn't um, weather and everything. They just couldn't get us back to uh, in the, um, back to Fallujah. So we just stayed out there for two weeks living in this small little Iraqi police station. Nice. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It was uh it was fun. The guys uh because the unit we were there with were, were um I they were past their return date. And so they were all going a little bit. Um, I forget who they were. I had to look it up. Um, but it was an infantry unit who was supposed to go home. And this would have been around, it was probably been around February. And they were supposed to be home, like, by January 1st. So they were, like, already a month past when they were supposed to be sent home. And they were still just out there. And they were you could just tell that they're – they were just they were just done with it. Like everything that they did, they just did not care. They were just they were just over. Yeah. Yeah. Even even their commanding officer was just like, Yeah, I don't fuck it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never seen a CO do that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. And it wasn't, it wasn't a big group. I think there was only, I think there was only like 30 of us total. Um, so it's not even like it was a huge group for anything. It just, um, got like, just out of coincidence, bad plan, whatever. We just all got dealt a really shitty hand for those two weeks, just stuck there. I don't know. I don't know. Nothing like that ever really happened to me because, like I said, I worked on the Osprey while it was non-deployable, so I didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. I um, I like having my story. I like having my little story, but I always get humbled with my little story because, like, a lot of my friends or people like Trit who are uh, like, "Yeah, man, I just, just." have 400 challenge coins here's my 897 awards um i did 47 tours through iraq and afghanistan spent three years on mars like just 
like he always humbles me with his uh with his story. So I like having my one little story and I like watching it get stomped on every single time I talk to somebody like him. Don't worry, you already won this one because I got none. Uh, that's cool. I, uh, it's a field of one finally. One of the characters in my book, his name is One Ribbon Wonder. And he is the person who made the military his entire identity without ever doing anything. So he only has his one ribbon. His head is actually the national defense ribbon. Um, because everybody's yeah, so every every single um, character in the book, um, their one, number one hobby, like their one, number one uh, hobby or personality trait is what they physically are. So, like, uh, my one friend who uh, – all the characters are based on, like, somewhat of real people. And so my group of friends who are nothing but, uh, like, just shit bags, whatever, they're all represented by a character who's tried to fly. He's just shit bags. And then One Ribbon Wonder is just that guy who makes his entire identity the military, even though he never did anything in the military. And I bet you, you did more than the person that this person is based off of. Mm, that's debatable. <laughs> like, that's debatable. That's debatable. I did a lot of nothing. <laughs> and I can prove it mathematically. <laughs> With the V-22 Osprey. It is uh, quite famously a carbon fiber aircraft, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was working on them, they were brand spanking new, fresh off the factory line, still had that new aircraft sent to them. Didn't smell like, you know, dirty boots and blood and piss. Uh, they, were, they were brand spanking new, fresh, crisp, clean. Uh, and they are carbon fiber aircraft. Carbon fiber is known quite extensively for its ability to withstand salt water and not rust in the process because you know marine corps maritime ocean salt water these are things that you don't want to happen to your aircraft but with aluminum aircraft and older ones especially like the ch-47 and ch-53 this was an issue so i went through the schoolhouse for airframes and hydraulics work great that's what i thought i was going to do airframes and hydraulics that might have been a little bit weird for the schoolhouse instructors because when I got to the unit, they recommended that I do not work airframes and hydraulics. I should go to the corrosion control shop. Corrosion control on a carbon fiber aircraft that is brand new. I did not do a lot. All right, so maybe I'm going to have to add your personality to one of the <laughs> Well, there was a short time where I didn't do a lot, but then we started getting more and more aircraft. And um, uh, one of the problems with the high, with, with prop rotors or helicopter blades in general is uh, just debris, like just sand, little pieces of dirt and stuff eating away at the rotor blades. So like the leading edge is a, uh, it's a piece of metal and that's just for protection and shape. And then after that, it's you know the carbon fiber the honeycomb and the paint and so the paint starts getting eaten away and then you have to go through and repaint the rotor blades so i did a lot of that honestly that doesn't sound like too bad of a job 
Like, because that's that's something to do, right? Like, it was tedious at worst. Yeah. So when I was stateside, my job was still a generator mechanic. I was I was one of two generator mechanics in the unit, and so our job was to go out to the motor pool every day and count the generators and make sure they were all still generators and they still generated power. And then we'd go sit back inside and wait for the afternoon where we would go back outside to make sure that nothing had changed since the morning generator check to make sure there was still <laughs> generators. Little <laughs> Dumas sit there. Every now and then we'd have to organize field days and they would be like, like, on one hand, it's kind of funny to look back and say this, but on the other hand, when you're in, how often, well, I don't know if you had ever been told this, but there would be somebody randomly as Lance Corporal who's going to get told this one day, listen, I don't care how you do it. I don't want to know how you do it. I need a fucking generator at 1300 at this location. Make it fucking happen. You'll be rewarded and not in eternity and not in heaven. You will be rewarded in this lifetime in the Marine Corps on this base, probably within a week. Goodbye. Get to it, Marine. So, that's why you had to check twice a day. That's that's a good point. On field days, not field days. Sorry, not field days. On field ops, it was absolutely perfect because we would, um, me and the other generator mechanic, our job would be basically be like, all right, so. There are 200 troops going on this field op. They're going to be gone for four days. This is how much fuel we're going to need. This is how many generators we're going to need. And then we get them onto the truck. We just get the forklift. We put them on the truck. And then our job is just to maintain them during the um, field day. But during that, as you well know, somebody fucks up on the way there. They forget their rifle card. They forget their entire fucking rifle. Some people show up in fucking hoodies and forget their cameras. Like, there's fucking... I actually have a story about that. So... They're just horrible. Like, like you just think us, think us fuck up, right? And so that means that um, wh- whoever, like Officer Dipshit, is just like, fine, you guys don't get any power. So then our job just becomes making sure that nobody comes and turns on the generators, except for the officers who still need their morning coffee. So our job is still the same. We get to watch everybody else covered in mud, and we're like, oh no, we can't. We can't go dig holes. We got to make sure these generators don't get turned on because that's our new job is to make sure they're not reducing power. So that actually did happen, which was funny. But there was, this did not happen in my unit. This happened to a friend of mine who joined the Marine Corps about a year before me. So him and I served at the same time. We didn't serve together, but we were really good friends in high school. Anyway, what he did, he was stationed in Japan. And there was. Bastard. Yeah, but there was a company-wide formation for uniform inspection. During a uniform inspection, what do you think is the one thing you should probably bring to the formation? Your uniform? He showed up in a pair of jeans and a hoodie, and I have a picture to prove it. <laughs> company-wide company formation, he is standing there with his hands in his hoodie pocket. Everybody else is literally just standing at ease, and he is literally as at ease as possible, just hands in his front pocket, 
jeans. I don't even think they were jeans. I have to double look at the picture. I think they were cut off shorts. But. Then Sergeant Major, who uh, wanted to go on a squadron run around the base. But he was trying to, you know, win the favor of all the Marines because there's two shifts for aircraft work. There's day shift and night shift. Uh, I was on night crew because that's where all the maintenance happens because there's no officers or senior enlisted around. And day crew just uh, doesn't do much, but claims they do. And if you're day crew, it's the other way around. But actually, all the work happens on night crew. So, you know, he wanted the night crew Marines and the day crew Marines to do it at the same time. So it like happened at like noon or something like really fucking weird, but he wanted us to, uh, you know, not hate him for doing this. So he's just like, you can wear rainbow gear, whatever you want. There were some interesting choices that day. <laughs> I went with pretty standard, just like shirt, just black band shirt and like some shorts or whatever. And like, I think he like looked at me cause I was wearing Chuck Taylors that day. And I remember this cause he's like, you're running in Chuck Taylors. I'm like, yes, it's the only shoes I have. I just lift weights all day. I don't care. <laughs> and, uh, one of my buddies from Avi, his nickname was actually butters because he looked like butters from South park, like almost identical was in a neon headband like a tank top shirt, short silkies that were a different color than green silkies, and then like leg warmers. <laughs> like he tried to get as 80s as he could, and it was fantastic. And there was just like varying other shades of like things close and between me and him. Like it was fucking phenomenal because the sergeant major never asked us to go for a run with him again. <laughs> It's stuff like that that makes me wish that I was still it. <laughs> it's things like that which would make me go, God damn it, I wish I was still in and like a sergeant major because it's like, that's the type of shenanigans that I would approve of. I'd be like, all right, we're going for a run, Marines. Rainbow gear. Get as crazy as you can. Winner gets a gift card to Applebee's. I'd do something dumb like that. Yeah. Yeah, it would have to be back in at a rank where PT was more lax, like, yeah, he doesn't make weight, but um, he's our sergeant major. What are you going to do about it? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that's the other nice thing about um, Air Wing. It's, hey, go PT on your own. Like, you know, if you pass the PFG and you're not overweight, we don't give a shit. Yeah. And so funny. it basically, yeah, we started uh, our the shop that I went through the schoolhouse is for airframes versus flight line uh, in football. So three times a week, we were playing football against each other. It was fucking awesome. That is actually cool. That is cool. I have a buddy who was um, a reservist. Um, he did he did aviation maintenance. Um, Alex, I can never pronounce his last name. Siviano? Long. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, but he um he was a reservist and he said that um he was telling me that um somebody in one of his units ended up getting discharged after like three years for failure to adapt because he can never make weight. Just like you have like the most like, and it was it was kinda like how you explain like they especially as a reservist, it was like as basic, low key as possible. All he had to do was make weight 
and do his PT when he got there once every other weekend. Um, and he couldn't, just couldn't. And so eventually they kicked him out for failure to adapt, which is embarrassing. I, I would rather get kicked out for a plethora of things before getting kicked out for failure to adapt. I don't know. I had a buddy that should have got kicked out for failure to adapt, and then uh, they just kind of like lost his paperwork. That's that's not too bad. That's that, that's just but his was uh his was like he just kept getting NJP. Yeah. So the, we had one kid. Um, this was when I was in courthouse. I think I was in courthouse bay at the time. He uh. He got publicly NJP'd twice, and then he got a third one, but I don't think they'd made it public. Um, but, like, so they put us all in formation, and he had to come down, and he explained his side of the story in front of our entire command. And what he got in trouble for was underage drinking. And his excuse was it wasn't his fault because he had taken the vodka and he put it into a Sprite bottle. And they're both clear. So when Duty saw him underage drinking, they didn't know he was really underage drinking because the vodka was in a straight bottle. And then obviously the follow-up question was, so you were underage drinking? He's like, yes, but they didn't know that when they charged me for it. That that was what he thought was going to get him out of that argument. And if you think he learned his lesson for that, he didn't. Because he got NJP, he lost rank, and then he got restrictions to the barracks for, I think, 90 days with um, where he could only go to the chow hall or to um, work, and he had to be escorted uh, between them. Other than that, he had to stay in the barracks. And um, duty came around every night at, I think, 5 o'clock to make sure everybody was in the barracks, and then again at 10. And so they did the 5 o'clock check-in, and he was there. And then they had to do the 10 o'clock check-in at, like, 9.30 because it was an emergency. So they were switching over early so they could go take care of that. So they switched over. So they did the check-in at 9.30, and he was not in the barracks where he was supposed to be. And his excuse was, I would have been there if you did the check when you were supposed to. That's not how the Marine Corps works. No. No, it's not. But he thought that was that he thought that one was an excuse that would get him out. The this vodka in the sprite bottle didn't work. But he thought the well, if you came here at ten o'clock, it would have been back to my room. He thought that one was going to work, and it it did not. Yeah. Yeah, he's the reason that Marine Corps is so hard for everyone else. He, he really is. He really is. Yeah. He uh. I can't remember his name. We also had three-time private ball. Um, and the reason we called him three-time private ball was, one, for his, his name is Ball, but also um, my dogs are going crazy. Uh, he picked up private three times, and that's kind of an accomplishment. So my Marine, the one that I was just telling you about, uh, I still talk to him. He's great. He's fantastic. I love him as a human being. Uh, so after his third promotion back to private, 
um, he decided he didn't care anymore and he was not going to stay in shape because he's like, whatever, I'm just getting out as a private now. So he uh, stayed out of shape and uh, so he couldn't get promoted past private. So he became Private Major Batez. I like that. That's, uh, that's the rank he gave himself and Batez was his name. I like so it. It's like, yes, uh, this is Private Major. You all have to listen to him, even though he's a private and you boots are fucking Lance Corporals. You can all fuck off. <laughs> that actually reminds me. Somebody let their chevrons get so chipped that somebody went like uh, a corporal or somebody. It was like, he was like, a, he might have been a PFC. I think he might have been a PFC. But there were so chips that like, um, uh, Corporal went to go salute him when walking by because it had the shine to it, and, and uh, that was that was fun to watch him get in trouble for. He just got like yelled on whatever. He had to go buy a new one, whatever. But imagine being like that. I, I I just I like always carried a sharpie around with me just so I could like color them in real quick if I needed to. Imagine just carrying that little. Classic move. Like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, like if I get in trouble, I get in trouble. Fuck it. What PFC? What are they going to do? Make me a private? Whatever. Yeah. So the initial aircraft school for like maintenance is at Naval Air Station Pensacola, and uh, like everything's combined between the Navy and Marine Corps, except the barracks. Like we're in separate barracks from them because apparently we're beneath them, and they don't want to let us near their women. Fucking assholes. That's a different story, though. One which I don't have any good stories for. And, uh, yeah, so, like, you know, you're walking around Naval Air Station Pensacola, and there's, like, you know, kids that are same rank as you, maybe a couple of petty officers. And you remember what they tell you in boot camp? If you see something shiny, just fucking salute it. Just don't worry about it. Just it's better off to just salute the shiny. Well, what they don't tell you is that Navy ranks on just their regular dungaree uniforms, like right there on the collar are fucking silver for the enlisted. So, like, you're like, you're a fucking petty officer. What's going on here? This is bullshit. And they're just laughing because they're, like, they're used to it. And you're just like... So, like, if you see shiny in a Navy uniform, you have to go, like, you are a enlisted. Okay, or it's like, uh, captain's bars. <laughs> That's funny. This is a true story. I'll make fun of myself for a second. This is a true story. And probably one of my most, not one of my most embarrassing moments, but a pretty, pretty funny kind of, uh, so I was coming back from the PX and, um, I had both my hands, both my hands full. I had like a gallon of milk in one hand and my bag in the other hand. And I'm walking back to the barracks and the officer comes, like gets out of his car. He's like walking towards me and my brain was just like, I got a salute. What hand do I salute with? Now my brain was like, like, I couldn't, like, uh, uh, everything just, can I help you? I've been busy. I'll come upstairs in a few minutes. All right. Um, so I'm like, like, all right, salute, I got a salute, but I had other things on my mind, whatever. And then my brain wasn't paying attention to the fact that you don't have to salute if your hands are full. But, like, you didn't process that. And I was just like, wait. Left, right, how do I, wait, what do you salute again? I dropped both 
both things. I bought, brought my bag and my gallon of milk, and I just want like this. And uh, <laughs> that's what my brain told me to do. My brain told me to get out of that situation by dropping everything and just. <laughs> Real thing that happened. Wow. That's fucking for now. I love it. All right, sir. Well, you sound yeah. like you uh, your home life's picking up and you're going to get it busy, is. so... It's just about my kid's bedtime, and um, we have a foster daughter at the moment, and she apparently needs to complain about something. So I'm going to have to go deal with that. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for giving me your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Don't worry. Well, I'll have you back again because this was actually great and hilarious. Awesome. Once we got past the awkward, like, tell me about yourself stage. I, I am like that without it. You should see me. Um, one last hand to run. You should see me on photo shoots. I like this list of questions I have to go through because I just need to break the ice some, um, some way. And some of them are like super awkward. So there was this guy um, and his fiance that was photographing. I was doing this engagement shoot for. And the guy is just stiff the entire time. Just completely stiff. Just like this. That's all he was doing, right? And so I was like, dude, listen. you got to relax for a few of these pictures. So all he did was like, oh, yeah, I can relax. He took one of his hands and he put it in his pocket. And then he still just. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was just a single photo. Frankenstein in it with one hand in his pocket. <laughs> Relaxed. All right. But anyway, I will let you go. Thank you very much for that, um, having me on. And um, I will talk to you again later. Sounds great, man. I'll get a hold of you online and stuff. Okay. Bye. All right. Peace out, dude.